Dispatch service, please. Police, fire or ambulance. Oh, police! Police! There's been a murder! Robert Lang as Robert Cardiff in The Lucas Testament, a play for radio by Michael Robson, with Dulcie Gray and Geoffrey Siegel. The Lucas Testament. You're very prompt, Mr. Cardiff. It's your time I'm encroaching on, sir. Nonsense. It's a pleasure, not an encroachment. Do sit down. Thank you. Wonderful view from these windows. I like a lot of trees, you know, and grass. Easier to manage. Would you like something to drink? You've come a long way. Not at the moment, thank you. Oh, uh, perhaps a little later. Well, then, uh, how can I help you? I, I must admit to being greatly intrigued by your letter. As I think I told you, I'm researching a book on Kenya before independence, and naturally, as I soon discovered, no book on East Africa would be complete without fairly extensive references to your brother. Ah, <laughs> Raymond would be amused to hear you say so. When were you out there yourself, Mr. Lucas? I spent some fairly extensive holidays at Raymond's farm. And when I say farm, I'm talking about something like 30,000 acres. Uh -huh. That was before the war, of course. He was doing some remarkable things, as you probably know. Yes, but what I'm anxious to do at the moment is to contact his widow. I was hoping you might be able to help. Oh, dear. Why, oh, dear? My brother's been dead for almost 40 years, Mr. Cardiff, so I don't suppose it can do any harm to tell you that his marriage was, from the family's point of view, an unfortunate one. None of us greatly cared for Claire... To the best of my knowledge, none of us has seen her since 1938, when Raymond was killed. If it's in the least embarrassing, I shan't take up any more of your time. Oh, the only embarrassment lies in the fact that I can't be of more help. No, uh, after the accident, Claire stayed on in the Aberdares of the farm till the end of the war. Then she sold up and went to America. The last I heard, she was in Florida, but that's many years ago. There were no other near relatives? She had no one very close. And since 1938, I've been the sole survivor of the original Lucas family. <laughs> Not a particularly useful one at that. But you see, colonial life never appealed to me as it did to Raymond. He had visions of a permanent white settlement out there. Perhaps it's just as well he didn't live to see independence. Yes, I see. And there's no way in which Mrs. Lucas can be contacted, you think? Oh, I expect so. I only told you I hadn't kept up with her. You see, my brother's estate and interests in East Africa were very considerable. When he died, there was a good deal of legal work to be done. His affairs, both here and in Kenya, were handled by a firm of London solicitors who at that time had branches in East and West Africa and heaven knows where else. They'll certainly have kept track of Claire's whereabouts. Do you recall their address in London? Certainly. They've acted for me on a number of occasions. Collison and Brimacombe of Chancery Lane. They're... Collison and Brimacombe. Mr. Lucas, 
You've been extremely helpful. Uh, not at all. Uh, only too glad. Blast. Robert Cardiff. Uh, Mr. Cardiff, uh, good morning to you. This is Barclay Collison of Collison and Brimacombe, in answer to your letter of the 14th of June. Mr. Collison, good of you to telephone me. I shall be replying to your letter, of course. But I'm telephoning now merely to emphasize that our client, Mrs. Lucas, has no wish to meet you. I beg your pardon? We advised Mrs. Lucas of your interest in the late Mr. Raymond Lucas. We urged your claims as a genuine historian, and we advised Mrs. Lucas that you would take up very little of her time. But she has instructed us to inform you that no such meeting will take place. But did she give any reason? Surely she must have had a reason. Is she ill? Uh, we are not concerned with reasons, Mr. Cardiff, only with conveying our client's wishes to you. But this is preposterous. I... I'm afraid that our client disapproves in the strongest terms of your intention to make a detailed biographical study of the late Mr. Lucas. What Lucas said and did in Kenya is a matter of history, Mr. Collison, not of a widow's whims. It's your privilege to pursue your vocation, Mr. Cardiff. It's our client's privilege to have nothing whatsoever to do with aiding you in your pursuit of that vocation. Did you make it clear to Mrs. Lucas that her late husband's brother is offering me every assistance with my research? Nothing that you mentioned in your letter of the 14th June was omitted in correspondence with our client. Her answer is still the same. No, Mr. Cardiff. Irrefutably, no. I see. You'll thank her handsomely, of course. All right, all right, I'm coming. Morning, sir. Good morning. Mr. Cardiff? Yes? Mr. Robert Cardiff? Yes, yes. What's this all about? Thorne, sir. Detective Chief Inspector Thorne. This is my colleague, Sergeant Rockness. How do you do, sir? How can I help you? Can we step inside and talk, sir? I hope this isn't going to take long. Yes, come inside if you must. Well, sit down. I can't offer you any tea, because at the moment I'm out of tea, and I never drink coffee. But if ten in the morning's not too early for liquor, you're welcome to whatever you see on the drinks table there. No, thank you, sir. No. Well, then, what can I do for you? Miss Anne Lawrence, you know? Yes, of course. Why? She hasn't had an accident, I hope. Can you recall when you last saw her? When you recall why you're here, I may be able to recall when I last saw Miss Lawrence. You're a writer, sir, I believe. Yes. You regard yourself as a professional. I'm regarded as one. Why? Sergeant Ropner and I are regarded as professionals, too. We conduct investigations in our own way. So, when did you last see Miss Lawrence? A few days ago. Sunday. Is she all right? Would that have been at the luncheon party given by Mrs. Bryant and her son? Yes, it would. Since you know this already, while... We I understand to... that you left that party at the same time as Miss Lawrence, sir. I'd like you to go now. I'm uh, sorry? I've no intention of wasting my time. If you can persuade me I'm not wasting my time, I'll go on with this interview. Otherwise, I have work to do. Are you always as recalcitrant as this, Mr. Cardiff, with police officers? Are you always as obtuse as this when you're dealing with members of the public? Miss Lawrence is dead. Are you persuaded now that we aren't wasting your time? If you told me that to begin with, we should all have got along a great deal better. You don't seem very surprised. About sir. what? 
Miss Lawrence's death. When a senior detective arrives, I don't imagine it's a matter of stolen milk bottle that you're investigating. How did Anne die? We have reason to believe she was murdered. Then I'll help you as much as I can. That's very charitable of you. Oh, for God's sake. I last saw her at about 2.30 on Sunday afternoon when we left the Bryant's place. You all left at the same time? Diana Hayward, a friend of Anne's, drove Anne to her cottage. Well, that was her intention, at any rate. And you? What did you do? I drove a friend of mine back here. Your friend's name, sir? Barberton. Sonny Barberton. He came up for the weekend. Where from? From London. You'll find his address in the green book by the telephone. Under B. Did you have occasion to telephone Miss Lawrence later that day? No. Did you go out at all later that day? Extensively. Well, perhaps you'll tell me about it. I took Mr. Barberton to the local station, train, at about seven. He wanted to catch the 7.45 from Norwich to London. Well, Treem's not far away. Hardly call that extensive travelling. From Treem, I drove to a place near Warham Station. On your own? No. But I understood you left Mr. Barberton at Treem Station. It wasn't Mr. Barberton I took to Warham Station. It was a young woman called... I forget the name for the moment. I see. You took this young woman, whose name you've forgotten, to Warham Stacey. Where'd you go from there? Back here. Directly. As directly as the lanes would allow. Yes, sir. Reaching here when? I don't know. I don't make a habit of consulting my watch every time I enter the house. It's important to us. There was still light. Perhaps nine, a quarter past. I don't know. And thereafter you stayed in? Yes. No visitors? None. No telephone calls? I don't think so. I can't remember. Then have you remembered the name of the young woman you took to Warham Stacy? It was Halifax. I don't recall her Christian name offhand. Just an acquaintance, perhaps. I've never met her before in my life. Yet you drove her thirty-odd miles to Warham Stacy. She was a stranger. She was expecting to be met at Treem Station by her brother, but he hadn't shown up. And it was a Sunday, and there was no available public transport, so I took her to her brother's home, near Warham Stacey. Look, is this relevant, Inspector? I really don't see how my actions can have any possible bearing on the death of Miss Lawrence. How well did you know her, Miss Lawrence? Quite well. We were quite friendly. But no more than that. We were quite friendly. Now, these personal details can be uncomfortable, sir. We, we realise that all too well. But since robbery can be ruled out as a motive for the murder, that seems to leave us with something more personal. We're asking you no more than we're asking everybody else in you, Miss Lawrence. Yes. Well, you've had my answer, haven't you? Indeed, we have. What did the gentleman say, Robner? Question. How well did you know Miss Lawrence? Answer. Quite well. We were quite friendly. Quite friendly. Have you anything to add to that, sir? I have a question. Please, feel free. When did Anne... When was she murdered? The time of death has been placed at between half past seven and nine on Sunday evening. Just the period, Mr. Cardiff, when no one but you and the mysterious Miss Halifax can vouch for your whereabouts. 
I'm sorry that Collison was so emphatic and so negative. He was clearly only carrying out his instructions. I don't begin to understand Mrs. Lucas's attitude. Why should she be so opposed to a meeting with me? There's no question of my hunting for skeletons in her cupboard. Her husband led an enlightened and valuable life, and my only concern is to narrate it as fully as possible. There was talk of skeletons at one time, you know. Perhaps that would account for Claire's reticence. Of course, I knew there was an inquest, but... Oh, it was all gossip, of course, rumour, speculation. But it was quite unpleasant for a while. Uh, will you have another glass of sherry? Uh, no, thank you. No, no, I'm lost, forgive me, but I'm lost. It's all so long ago now that it's difficult to understand the lives that so many of the settlers led out there in pre-war days. What did the journalists call Kenya? A place in the sun for shady people. You see... Raymond was single, agreeable, very rich. I can't think how many hopeful mothers sent their daughters fluttering around him. Then along came Claire, 19 years old, and from what can only be described as a humdrum background. Within weeks, Raymond was utterly infatuated with her. Within months, they were married. He was 25 years her senior. Naturally, tongues wagged, but gossip really got underway when Raymond died on Mount Kenya. Did he fall, or was he pushed? Exactly. Raymond was extremely wealthy. In Nairobi and Mombasa, people talked of nothing else for weeks. But, as you know, the coroner found, quite properly, in my opinion, that Raymond's death was a misadventure. Presumably, Mrs. Lucas inherited the entire estate. No, she didn't. And she was piqued, I remember. You see, Raymond left a third of his capital towards the foundation of a veterinary college near Kisumu. But what she did receive was very considerable. I don't know the details myself, but I do know that by the time she was 21, Claire must have been one of the richest people in the colony. Afternoon, Mr. Cardiff. Glad you've come home. Was I expecting you? One or two details I'd like to go over with you again, if you please. If they're relevant. Miss Halifax. Why don't you tell you? Absolutely nothing. For the simple reason that we can't find her. Then you have incompetent officers. Now, if you'll excuse me... Now, I can I... assure you that there's no one by the name of Halifax lives in or anywhere near the village of Warham Stacey. And I can assure you they do. I took the wretched girl there myself on Sunday. A dismal-looking house between two cornfields, about a mile from the village. You could identify it on an ordnance survey map. It's extremely unlikely. We made a number of false starts, found ourselves down rural cul-de-sacs and on lanes that led nowhere in particular. Oh, doesn't this strike you as odd, that the house should be so hard to find? Why should it be odd if that's where her brother lives? Well, it's evidently a hiring. He's in the Air Force. Stationed at Coldestall, I imagine. Well, you didn't mention this at our last meeting. Because it's immaterial. Do you remember anything else now? The girl's Christian name, for example. Her name was Susan. She was tall, slim, fair-haired, about 22. Trendy dresser in a blue denim sort of way. By her accent, I should guess she came from south of the Thames. The historian's detail, amazing. Now, if that's all... But it isn't. My men have found no one of that name in that area. You're sure it was Halifax? Of course, I'm sure. 
But if you care to try again with Churchill, Chamberlain, Horpelisha, you're welcome. The girl had aliases. Thorn. I'm going in. Good day to you. Mr. Cardiff, there's my car full of petrol provided by public funds. I'm going to ask you to accompany me to Warham Stacy and identify this house. Left here. No, left. You're sure? I'm far from sure. I can only guess, as I did on Sunday. Nothing en route to jog your memory, I suppose? There was a water tower. On our left, I recall, when we drove between the two cornfields. There's a tower on our right, beyond those trees. Would that be the one? Yes. That's the one. Yes. Up here. Now, the house is in that spinney. That's why it was so difficult to find. And this is where you took Miss Halifax on Sunday evening? This is where I took her. Did you meet her brother, the airman? No, I stopped the car just about here. She got out, thanked me, and walked off up to the house. You didn't see her go in? I was busy, reversing down this ridiculous track, as you will have to do presently. There's no way of turning round unless you want to destroy a section of corn. I see. Well, let's go up, shall we? To the house. Come on. It really is a dreary, bloody house. Yes. Well, are you going to knock? No need. I have a key. You what? Coming inside. Is this some kind of a joke? Come on in. It's empty. Apart from dust and cobwebs, yes. No one's lived here for three years. But this is crazy. I dropped the girl off at the bottom of that path, and away she went, up here. But not inside, evidently. What the hell's been going on? Well, Sergeant Rockner and I are wondering very much the same, sir. Your alibi has disappeared. But I was there, not ten yards away. You're sure it was this house? You're sure it was Sunday evening? Of course I'm sure. How could I possibly imagine such a journey? Well, there is an alternative, of course. Well, it's not one likely to recommend itself to you. Alternative to what? You allege that between 7 and about 9.15 you were bringing the girl here, then returning to your cottage. I allege nothing. It's a fact. Yes, sir. Meantime, in Miss Lawrence's diary, there's an entry for last Sunday which I find baffling. She was expecting a visit from you at 8 that evening. Miss Hayward? Yes? Can I have a word with you, miss? Detective Sergeant Rockner. Is it about Anne? Miss Lawrence, yes. Um, is that animal quite safe, miss? <laughs> I think so. I'm taking him back to the stables. Is that all right? I'll walk along with you. Have you found out who did it? No, not yet. Oh, it's a dreadful thing, dreadful. Who on earth could want to harm Anne? That's what we have to find out, Miss. You last saw the lady when? Last Sunday, at the Bryant's lunch party. It was a very good lunch party. Mrs. Bryant's a wonderful hostess. And Anne was in great form. Poor Anne. I see. Then you drove Miss Lawrence to her cottage, hmm? Yes. Look, I've been over all this twice with your inspector. We, uh, we arrived about four o'clock, I suppose. And then you went home? 
No, we had a cup of tea first. How was Miss Lawrence? Did she seem cheerful? Well, she had a bit of a headache, but then we'd all had quite a bit to drink at lunch. <laughs> oh, do shut up, Templar. Uh, did Miss Lawrence mention any plans she might have had for that evening? Not that I recall. She'd been working on a painting. I think she wanted to do something more to that. No mention of any visitors, then? No. I see. Now, when you left Mrs. Bryant's house, I understand Mr. Cardiff left at the same time with a Mr. Barberton. That's right, Sonny Barberton. Who lives in London? Yes. I'd never met him before, but Robert and the Bryants knew him well. And Miss Lawrence, did she know him? No. Now, I remember that because Robert introduced them to one another. Oh, Stanley, would you take Templar for me? Mm, come on, miss. Uh, come on, then, boy. What other men friends did Miss Lawrence have in North Norfolk? Apart from Mr. Cardiff and Mr. Bryant. Uh, I'm sorry, miss. It may be very important. Mm. Well, well, she did see quite a lot of Alex. And Robert, too. And there's a man called Mike Folliot who took her out now and again, if that's important. Folliot? Hmm. He wasn't at that luncheon party. No, he's a farmer, lives near Cly. I see. Did Miss Lawrence ever mention whether she had a... a preference for any of these gentlemen? She didn't talk a great deal about her private life. Not to me, at any rate. Well, then, did you observe that any of these three seemed to be keener on her than the others? I hardly know, Mr. Folliot. I couldn't possibly comment on him. I think Alec Bryant was fond of Anne. So was Robert in his way. In his way, miss? He didn't take her too seriously. He used to tease her, in fact. That's why she liked him, I think. So you're suggesting that Mr. Bryant was the more serious about her? Really, Sergeant... Um, Ropner, miss. Sergeant Ropner. I've no idea. And I find all this rather gruesome, actually. We were all friends, and I'm not inclined to discuss my friends' degrees of affection one for another. Quite understand. Mm. Well, I think that'll be all. Thank you, Miss Haywood. Oh, you're off. I am. Goodbye. Sergeant Ropner? Yes? Have you and I met before? I think it extremely unlikely, miss. Wait a minute. Is your first name Ian? The odd thing is, Robert, I'm certain I've met him. You live in Norwich? He's based in Norwich. You've probably seen him out shopping or doing something equally unremarkable. But why should I be so sure his name's Ian? Diana, I've no idea, really. Oh, I'm sorry. You're preoccupied. Would you like me to leave? No, of course not. Stay as long as you like. It's just... I suppose the reality of Anne's death is just beginning to hit me. She was so vital. It's horrible. And that sergeant, grubbing around in our lives. He was taking enormous pleasure in trying to discover who Anne was sleeping with. Second-rate people leading second-hand lives. They depress me. Would you like a drink? That's it. That's it! What is what? I'm sorry, but I've, I've remembered where I saw that sergeant before. It must have been last year. I was coming out of the cinema one evening with my parents, and he came out of one of the other doors. Oh, he, well, he looked different off-duty, almost a boy. Robert! He was with Anne. He was what? I tell you, she introduced him to us. Are you sure? I'm certain. Then say nothing. Say nothing at all. Keep it to yourself. It might be a card to play. 
when we know more about Mr. Rotner and his boss. I'm sorry to be intruding, Mrs. Bryant, but these questions must be asked. Now, how close was Robert Cardiff to Miss Lawrence? He was fond of the child. We all were. What more can you expect me to say? You can be fond of your dog or of stamp collecting, but you're not likely to commit murder on that account. Are you suggesting that Robert killed her? The idea's absurd. No, I meant to suggest nothing. Well, the fact is that she has been murdered, and the sexual motive is still one of the commonest there is for killing. And in this case, we can rule out murder for gain or political reasons. <laughs> I think you're completely wasting your time, Inspector. We all thoroughly enjoyed ourselves at the luncheon party on Sunday. And do you suppose for a moment my mother wouldn't have noticed it if someone were harbouring a murderous resentment against someone else? Nevertheless, the lady is dead, and she was murdered. A motiveless murder by a person unknown is so unlikely as to be inadmissible, Mr. Bryant. I find the whole situation so horrible. I can hardly believe it's happened at all. Ours is a quiet and civilised community, Inspector. We don't behave like animals. I'm perfectly certain that if one of us had had a difference of opinion with Anne, we should have resolved it with discussion and not with violence. Nobody begins life as a murderer, but just look at English social history over the past hundred years. You find the highest proportion of murderers come from the middle classes, and the majority of those were closely related to their victims, either by blood, marriage, or the sexual act. Bravo, bravo. That's all we needed. I have reason to believe that Miss Lawrence, if not actively promiscuous, was on the friendliest of terms with a number of gentlemen. Well, good Lord, man, of course she was, and why not? She was free, attractive, of age. Among them yourself, Mr. Bryant. I've told you she was attractive. And wealthy. Oh, come on. Wealthy enough in her own right, and much wealthier still on the death of her parents. But this is something you wouldn't know about, perhaps. It's not something we'd even think about. No one in the particular circle we inhabit is sufficiently short of money to be self-conscious about the subject. Yet the possession of wealth is recognisable. Well, no one after five minutes in my company would assume me to be a rich man. No one after five minutes in this house would think of you and your mother as anything less than comfortably off. And the same, I can only infer, would hold good for Miss Lawrence. She was attractive, rich, and available. Now, look, Inspector, Any one of I... those attributes can make a girl the object of strong feelings. In combination, they prove to be fatal. So may I ask you, Mr. Bryant, to be more precise about your relationship with Miss Lawrence? I have been precise. I told you I was very fond of her. We all were, Inspector. Very fond. So you say, madam, yet someone has killed her. Has it occurred to you that we have no reason to lie? that we have far more reason to want her murderer caught than you have. I mean, to us, she was a very dear friend. To you, she's a corpse in a Norfolk cottage, and you're paid to find out who put her there. You know something, Mr. Brand. I shall enjoy this case, this pedestrian grubbing amongst the underwear of the privileged, because I don't know when I've met a more wholehearted hostility to my every inquiry. Sergeant Ropner? Yes, Mr. Folliot. Yes. Do you mind if I uh, carry on with this? The damn sheep have been straying and this fence has to be repaired at once. No, you carry on, sir. Thank you. <coughs> you made any progress? I'd like to think an arrest was imminent, but we've a long way to go yet, I'm afraid. <coughs> what uh, can I do for you anyway? You're a friend of Miss Lawrence's, sir. I wanted to marry her. <coughs> oh, really? Had you proposed to her, then? She knew how I felt about her. There was some sort of understanding between you. 
She understood I wanted to marry her. I understood she wouldn't make up her mind. This cause an ill feeling between you, sir? Difficulties, certainly, but not ill feeling. Difficulties? Surely it's obvious. She played the field, and you didn't like it, hmm? That's not an expression I care for. And it led to difficulties. When did you last see the oh, lady? Oh, God, this look! I loved her, and someone killed her. <coughs> it's hard enough to carry on functioning as it is without this macabre rigmarole. I'm sorry, sir, but without more facts, we've nothing to go on. We need your assistance. Yes. All right. What did you ask of me? I, I've forgotten. When did you last see Miss Lawrence? I've been thinking about that. It must have been last Thursday. I went round to the cottage for drinks early evening. Was she cheerful? Not particularly, and I wasn't cheerful either. The difficulties? Yes. Was there anyone else she might have felt more positively about? Mr. Follier? She'd begun to see a chap called Alec Bryant quite a lot. Oh, yes. Well, I felt he wasn't serious about her. Whereas you were. I thought it was time she made a choice between us. She didn't want to, hmm? It was never resolved. That's why we were both a bit jumpy. I didn't stay long. How were matters left, sir? I was going to give her a call sometime this week. Yes. Just the two of you at the cottage, I suppose? Of course. On your Thursday visit, apart from Mr. Bryant, did she refer to anyone else? Mr. Cardiff, for example? Why on earth should she? I understand he was quite fond of Miss Lawrence, too. No doubt. Everyone was. That was the trouble. Did she make any reference to the lunch party on the Sunday at Mrs. Bryant's house? No. I didn't know there was going to be a lunch party. In any case, Alec Bryant would never have invited me. Uh, there was a telephone call there. Oh? About what? She appeared to be confirming an appointment, something about eight o'clock on Sunday. Now, this could be very important, sir. Can you remember exactly what it was she said? Well, just about what I told you. Eight o'clock, Sunday, that's all. Any idea who she was talking to? No, the conversation was very short and I wasn't really paying attention. I see. So, last Thursday was the last time you saw her? Yes. You didn't, by any chance, call round a little before eight on the Sunday evening to see just who Miss Lawrence's appointment was with? Look, I've told you twice already. Thursday was the last time I saw her. Mr. Folliot! You were seen leaving Miss Lawrence's cottage at about a quarter to eight on Sunday evening. At a time when she could have just been murdered. Now, sir, shall we start again? We checked locally, Mr Cardiff, and we checked with the Ministry of Defence. There's no Flight Sergeant Halifax at RAF Coltshall. Indeed, there's no Flight Sergeant Halifax in the entire Royal Air Force. Well, I can't be held responsible for that. You don't seem surprised. But then you really do. Were you... Once we'd established that the house was empty, it was obvious that someone was playing a perverse, practical joke. In theory, you could have invented the entire story. We aren't concerned with theory. In the time I spent ferrying that irresponsible creature to Warham Stacey, a score of people must have seen my car. It isn't expensive, God knows, but it is fairly distinctive. Yeah, dark green bond keep, yes. Yes, and in any case... Why would I invent such an unlikely story in the first place when I knew it could be disproved so easily? I could just have said that once I dropped Sonny Barberton at Treme Station, I came straight home and stayed home, on my own. There's a very good reason why that would have been a dangerous course. You're on the telephone. Isn't everyone? Friends or acquaintances could have rung continually during the entire time you were uh, elsewhere, and you wouldn't have been here to speak to them. I'm getting very tired of all this, Inspector. However improbable it seems, I've told you the truth. And anyway, 
What possible reason could I have for wanting to murder Anne? I liked her enormously. I, I still find it hard to believe that she won't be coming through the front door with an armful of bluebells and an atrocious choke. I'm afraid this is ground that we'll have to cover again. What ground? Your relationship with Miss Lawrence. Oh, oh. look! There was no robbery, and we found nothing in Miss Lawrence's bank statements or personal effects to suggest either that she was being blackmailed or practising blackmail herself. This is ludicrous. Therefore, I... therefore, everything points to a sexual motive. You were involved with the young lady, and your alibi is non-existent. And the time's come for total honesty. Now, we can talk here, or we can talk down at the station, but I want the truth. Was she your mistress? We had been... Occasional lovers. What does that mean? We were lovers, in an intermittent kind of way, though not actively so for some little time. You're a widower. Did you have marriage in mind? No. Why not? You're free. You slept with her. She was attractive and wealthy. There's a ring of the tin chapel in everything you say. Are you going to answer me or not? How much of this is detection? And how much is prurience? I'm still waiting for an answer. We had good times together, Anne and I, but she liked a clear field of operations. She was too immature for marriage. But nevertheless, you made love to her. Now, when? When was the last time? What a sad man you must be. Why are you so evasive? I didn't keep a score, Inspector. I didn't have a diary full of asterisks. Unless you're keeping a seraglio, you must have a reasonably accurate idea. When? I don't know. I really don't know. Three or four months ago. I can't be more precise than that. What a pity. Because those asterisks would have been strictly pertinent. The post-mortem examination revealed that at the time of her death, Anne Lawrence was three and a half months pregnant. He was difficult at first, was Folliot. That fellow's got a very quick temper. But eventually, he admitted that he did visit Anne Lawrence's cottage on the Sunday evening. Devil he did. And what's his story? It's as I suspected, sir. Cup of tea, sir. Oh, thank you, Constable. Yes, well, what what was it you suspected? When he knew the girl was expecting someone, he had to know who it was and what was going on. According to him, the girl was miserable and distracted, and none too pleased having turning up. But he claims she asked him if he knew anything at all about Alec Bryant's father, or any of his father's family. What's that supposed to mean? Hmm. Follett says he has no more idea than we have. When he wanted to know why she was so interested, she fobbed him off and sent him back in. When? He thinks it was about quarter to eight. And where did he go from there? He says he drove back to the farm, but didn't want an evening inside on his own, so he motored off to the rough shoot he has and pottered around there. Then he went back to the farm, he says, about 9.40. His housekeeper was back by then from a day off, and he had a cup of coffee with her. You checked? Oh, yes. She seemed a reliable woman. But for the crucial two hours, he has no witnesses. Yeah, he doesn't seem to think so. And he was very stroppy when I asked him. Well, they all are in this case. Any word from London, sir? Oh, far from helpful. They asked this Barberton character if there was anyone else at Treem Station that Sunday evening, apart from himself and Cardiff. He seemed to recall there was a young woman, but he couldn't describe her or what she was wearing because he was more interested in catching his train. It's beginning to look like a conspiracy of confusion, isn't it? I mean, Cardiff, Bryant and Folliot. All of them involved with a girl and none of them with an alibi worth a bent me. Cardiff has a woman who doesn't exist. Folliot has 50 acres of rough country. And Bryant supposedly smashed out of his mind and in his own room all evening. 
suppose, though, they're all telling the truth. Oh, they can't be, sir. There's no one else involved. We've established that, surely. Have we? Won't you jump in the gun, Rockner? So far, we've only concentrated on these three men. But we know that Anne Lawrence was promiscuous. She had three of them that we know of dancing to her tune, so why not five or six or a dozen? Do sit down, Inspector. But it's only fair to warn you that there's nothing more I can add. Sergeant Rockner's already questioned me, and if I'd thought of anything else, I should have been in touch with him immediately. There may still be matters which you think unimportant, Miss Hayward, that could help us considerably. Well, of course, I'll be glad to help in any way possible. Thank you. How long had you known Miss Lawrence? Oh, six or seven years. We met at finishing school in Switzerland. Sometimes she'd stay with us here, and I spent a couple of Christmases with her people in Wiltshire. And thereafter? We shared a flat in London for a while. Both of us rather pretending we were out to find work. <laughs> but I suppose we were very lazy. We didn't really need to. So you didn't? Well, nothing serious. Nothing permanent. And you both gave up London? We had our fingers burned. First love affairs that ended pretty disastrously. <laughs> well, most girls go through that phase when they try London life for the first time. Oh, do they indeed. But uh, what led Miss Lawrence to buy the cottage near Blakeney? She was a very talented artist. She found the coast here interesting, so she bought the cottage. I see. That's one of her paintings over there. Striking, isn't it? Remarkable. How friendly were you with Miss Lawrence's circle on the coast? I'm not sure I... Mrs. Bryant, Alec Bryant, Robert Cardiff, Michael Follier. Oh, I know them, of course, all of them, but not terribly well. They were her friends rather than mine. Did she indicate a preference for any of the gentlemen we've mentioned? All I can tell you is that she seemed to be seeing more of Alec than the other two these last few weeks. But I don't think that necessarily meant anything. Why do you say that? I don't think poor Anne took her romances very seriously. Miss Haywin, I want you to think very carefully. Did Miss Lawrence ever show any interest in the subject of Mrs. Bryant's husband? Alec Bryant's father, I mean, or, or any of that family? Well, Miss Haywood? Is it necessary to go into something which was almost certainly malicious gossip? Anything that's malicious may have a bearing on the affair. You must realise that, surely. I chose my words carelessly. I meant stupid or ridiculous. It's all very embarrassing. Tell me. Well, not so long ago, a week or two perhaps, Anne told me she'd heard something unpleasant about the... Well, how would you put it? The male Bryant line. Someone she wouldn't tell me who, had implied there was a history of mental instability in the Bryant family. And this included Alec Bryant. Oh, it's so petty. It may be far from petty. Did Miss Lawrence ever discuss this with Mr. Bryant? She would never have dreamed of hurting his feelings like that. And why did she mention it to you? She regretted it the moment she had. She asked me to forget about it. Inspector, you aren't going to take any notice of a rumour like that. Only if it becomes relevant. And... Uh, you may be sure I shan't divulge the source of my information. Barberton? Sonny, it's Robert. Hello, old soldier. How's it going? Police cracked the case yet? They've hung out dirty linen from the wash to Colchester. They're no nearer solution than I am. But they spend a greater part of their time with me. 
Behaving with an insolence I shouldn't have thought possible outside of Zed cars. Yes. I had a taste of it the other day. Yes. Look, Sonny, can you put me up tomorrow night? Yes, delighted. I need a break from the CID. And I'm onto something with the Raymond Lucas story. I'd like to follow up. Mr. Bryant, did the subject of marriage ever occur in recent conversation between yourself and Miss Lawrence? Marriage? <laughs> well, I suppose it's something everyone talks about from time to time. That's an answer to something I didn't ask, so shall I put it another way? Did you ever propose marriage to Miss Lawrence? Certainly not. Anne was a charming girl, Inspector, but she was much too young in years and temperament for Alec. Many an older man has married a younger girl. Attraction, marriage, they aren't always based on parity of age or character. Nevertheless, the question never arose. Oh, I wonder why. Well, surely that's my business. He just told you it didn't. Mr. Cardiff advances as his reasons for not proposing to Miss Lawrence very much the same sort of argument you've used, Mrs. Bryant. That she was too immature, too fond of her independence. On the other hand, Mr. Folliot tells us he was most anxious to marry the young lady. What? And has indeed proposed marriage to her on several occasions. Well, it's the first I've heard of it. The fellow hardly knew her. She refused him, he contends, because over the past few months she was much too preoccupied with you. Oh, but this is absurd. How could Mr. Folliot possibly have known about Anne's feelings for Alec? But if these feelings did exist, and Miss Lawrence didn't, as you've just told me, make them known to you, Mr. Bryant, then I wonder why she didn't. Was it because she feared what marriage might bring? What's that supposed to mean? Might she have worried about conceiving children whose mental stability could be at hazard? Do you realize what you're implying, Inspector? Someone implied it to Miss Lawrence. Not too long before her death. And I'm hoping you may be able to throw some light on why such a slander should have been made. Blast! Coming! Good evening, sir. Thorn, for God's sake, can't you go through life on your own? I was passing, sir, seeing your lights on. I thought I'd take this opportunity of keeping you abreast of development. Can't it wait? Your car, the dark green Bondi Keep. What about it? Can we talk inside? Sir? Let's keep it brief, shall we? I hadn't read anything of yours, you know, until this case began. We seem to have very little time for the pleasures of history. You're in a clear majority. However, having met you, having seen you in action... Indeed, having interrupted you at work on more than one occasion, I felt I owed it to us both to uh, fetch a title off the shelf. Oh, yes. Indian Genesis. Remarkable work. I'm halfway through it now. Did you spend long out there researching it? About six months. Fascinating. I thought so. Yes, yes. I, I envy you, you know. The gift of fluent, vivid writing. If I didn't know you so well, I might suspect you of meaning that. <laughs> You enjoy it, don't you? Tilting at the police. My car, Inspector. That's what you came about. Indeed. On the night of the murder, at about 8.45, a Bondi keep, almost certainly a dark green Bondi keep, was seen passing through Wiverton in this direction. And Wiverton, as we both know, lies midway between Miss Lawrence's cottage and this one. I didn't come through Wiverton that evening. When I left Warham Stacey, I took the main road to Cromer and came through Sheringham. 
It, someone drove through Wiverton at 8.45 in a Bondi key. Then find out who it is, and we'll all rest easier in our beds. Any further thoughts about the girl Susan Halifax? I've had a hundred. All of them murderous. Murderous, Mr. Cardiff? Surely you must begin to appreciate the seriousness of your situation, sir. Now, by your own admission, you were intimate with Miss Lawrence between three and four months ago. We know that the lady was three and a half months pregnant when she died. On the night of her death, according to her diary, you were expected at eight o'clock. Three quarters of an hour later, a car exactly like yours was seen heading in this direction from her place. She was murdered sometime between eight and nine, and so far all investigations into your alibi have drawn a blank. Are you here to arrest me? Were you expecting to be arrested? I'm giving you notice that I intend to go to London tomorrow. I may be there a couple of days. Now, if you have any objections, raise them now, and I'll instruct my solicitor to deal with you. Your trip, sir, to do with work? Certainly. Would you be seriously offended if I were to ask where you might be contacted? Should I need to get in touch with you urgently? Take it easy, Squire. You've got to be imagining it. I don't find it as irresistibly amusing as you do, Sonny. I tell you, the man's followed me from Norfolk. Ropner's shadowing me. Well, he's not going to get much joy of his work, then, is he? Aren't you seeing this ex-Kenya guy this evening? Yes, a man called Latimer. He was there for almost 30 years. Knew Raymond and Claire Lucas well, apparently, and he was on the hunting trip in the Aberdares when Lucas died. Hmm. Where does he live, Latimer? Hammersmith. I said I'd call around seven. Well, then you'd better get a move on. It's half past six now. My God, so it is. Look, Sonny, uh, I expect to be back around nine, okay? Okay by me, Captain. Cheers. Uh, Barberton here. He's gone off to see the African contact. Look, I've told you before, I was not on intimate terms with Anne. She seemed keener on Mr. Bryant's company than yours. We've been through this so often. A murder was committed, Mr. Folliot, and questions will never cease until the murderer is brought to trial. But I loved her. I loved her and I wanted to marry her. It's not uncommon, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, for people to destroy what they know they can never possess. And how did it go with Latimer, Squire? No, he was a charming old boy. Virtually everything he could tell me I knew already, but he remembers Claire... Raymond's wife, very well. Mm -hmm. According to him, she was very young, very beautiful, very sure of herself. But he has no idea where she is now? No, lost contact during the war. And her solicitors aren't giving anything away? Except her flat refusal to see me. Mm. But does it matter so very much? I mean, can't you cope without the silly old bag? She stands in the way of scholarship. And I don't believe anyone has the right to do that. She could tell me more about Raymond Lucas than 20 Keith Latimer's. Any case... A bag, she may be. She's certainly not old. Oh, come off it. Didn't you say she married Lucas 40 years ago? Oh, she was 19 when she married him. 
1937? She can only be 57 or 58. And with all the money she's got, she could be passing herself off as a glamorous 45, for all we know. Can't understand why she never married again. Well, how do you know she didn't? The solicitors would have told me, surely. Anyway, Collison referred to her as Mrs. Lucas, so I assume she's settled for widowhood. With all that money, she probably didn't fancy sharing again. So, where do you go from here? I have a very large whiskey and soda, I hope. <laughs> My dear chap, of course, I'm sorry. What time is it, by the way? Uh, almost nine. Now, would you mind horribly if we had the telly on for now? I'll tell you why. Charm of Mind's produced a new series for ITV, and the first show goes out this evening. I said I'd look in and tell him what I thought. Fine by me, so long as the screen isn't crawling with cops. <laughs> right. And it's one of the larger whiskey and sodas. You have the right idea. There you go. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> These ads are amazing, aren't they? This mate of mine was telling me that with what they spend on a 30-second commercial, they could make two full-length drama productions. Yes, I suppose it's not so difficult. Sonny, that girl. What? There, on the box. Damn, she's gone. What about her? Not just. It was Susan Halifax, the girl I drove to Warren Stacy the night Anne was killed. And you think the young lady will be in this year's edition? She may be. I hope so. But you don't know her name. I know her as Susan Halifax, but I don't think she'd use it professionally. Then you'd better start with this section. Juvenile and juvenile character. You'll just have to work your way through until you find her photograph. Thank you. You've been very kind. Found her yet? I think so. Yes, I I'm sure this is the girl... She had fair hair when I knew her, but I, I... Oh, they often wear wigs, particularly if they're doing commercials. Nita Powell. Yes. But she doesn't appear to have an agent. Then she'll have left a number with us where she can be reached. It is a professional inquiry, sir. Absolutely. Cardiff Productions. Of course. Just a moment. There we are. Powell. Yes. I'll write it down for you. You've been very helpful. I hope you find her there. So do I. You might call it a matter of life and death. Tom Cairns. Oh, have I had the right number? I'm trying to get in touch with Nita Powell. It's urgent. Uh, oh, uh... Nita's uh, out modelling today. Any idea when she'll be back? Hang on. Anybody got any idea? Hey, uh, you got any idea when Nita's coming back? Oh, right, I'll tell him. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Uh, round about half past seven. There's a party here starting early. She's expected back for that. I see. Would you give her a message for me? Yeah, if I can remember it. It's most urgent. Would you tell her a James Brown James will be calling around eight? I'm the friend of a very old friend of hers. Why? I'll explain when I see her. It's imperative she be there. James Brown. Right. Okay. That's right. Oh, uh, can I just check I've got the address right? Uh, yeah, it's 14 Buckingham Place, Battersea, okay? Thank you. Coming! 
Good morning. Is Sonny here? Not back yet. I'm Maggie Clement. Robert Cardiff. How do you do? How do you do? I called to see if Sonny was free to come out to lunch. We do uh, drop in on each other like this. It's quite a habit. Uh, but as you're here... No, no, please don't go. I'm sure he'd be delighted to lunch with you. I'm just an old friend he's put up for the night. I'm going out again in a moment, so I won't be intruding. You did say Robert Cardiff. Then you're the... I know about you. You're caught up in this dreadful Norfolk business. Is it very bad? No, it's not exactly good. Oh, I'm sorry. How's Alec taking it all? Alec? You know Alec? Yes, indeed. We were bright young things together centuries ago at Cambridge. Sonny, Alec, and I. Then where's Sonny been hiding you all this time? <laughs> oh, town and country don't mix in Sonny's book. He visits you and Alec and reports back from the front line, as it were. But, uh... But what? He's amazingly reticent, is Sonny. You know, I, I think he has talked about you. Mm -hmm. But all I know for sure is you're a journalist. I don't know if you're married I or... used to be. It lasted all of a year. Sorry. No need. What defeats me is why Alec never married. Yeah. He's got it all, hasn't he? Looks, brains, charm, <laughs> money. And yet, nothing doing. I remember there was some ridiculous canard about a clandestine marriage once, though. Alec, you mean? Hmm. <laughs> the whole thing was so daft. What happened was that after taking the second part of our tripod, mm -hmm. Alex suggested that a bunch of us, including Sonny and myself, should go on one last jaunt together in the south of France, a kind of uh, golden farewell to Cambridge. And it was fun, too. Well, sure it was. But after about six weeks, most of us realized we'd work to find reality to face sooner or later. A terrible point. <laughs> It was round about this time when we were all beating up San Rafael that the uh, rumour of Alec's secret marriage began. Really? It was a nonsense, of course, just part of the whole zany frivolity. Um, I can see by the look on your face that you'd have strongly disapproved. Certainly I should. If only because I didn't have the chance to do that sort of thing myself. <laughs> I was lumbered as a reservist mm. going out to Cyprus <laughs> and the Middle East and shouting at Colonel oh, Nasser. Dear. <laughs> Not that he did much good. No, hello, indeed. Hello. Oh, Sonny. Sorry if I'm interrupting something. Shall I come back another time? It's Nita. Nita Powell. It, well, I had to. Now, listen. L listen. Cardiff's found me and he's coming round this evening around eight. Well, of course I'm getting out. But it'll be expensive. Unless you want me to talk to him. S so I move? Right, then it's a thousand. Before eight. Or I'm staying put. Hello, the name's Brown. Oh, yes, I remember you. You gave me to my message. Sure? About it, Shane. I reckon, somewhere. Hell of a din, yes. They call it a party. Well, you better come in. Have you seen her recently? She may be in her room, boozing on her jack. Oh, where's her room? First floor, first door. And don't bother to knock. She'll never hear you through all this racket. All righty. I didn't know she went for the older man. Excuse <laughs> me. Hey, hey, my way. Nita, it's Robert Cardiff. 
Miss Powell, it's time to stop playing games, Nita. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Is there ever any peace around here? Morning. I wonder you don't pitch a tent in my garden. So much more convenient for you. How was the London trip? Busy. May I come in? You always do. Why hesitate now? Thank you. Have you come to tell me it was the butler all the time? For a man whose mistress was murdered, you take it all very flippantly. Inspector, we care very little for one another's company. Why do you keep calling? Because, so far, nothing has assured us that your story of the drive to Warham Stacey is a truthful one. On the other hand, circumstantial evidence pointing to a visit by you to Miss Lawrence's cottage is still very strong. The diary entry in particular? Just so. Clearly, I can't deny there was an entry since you've made so much of it. But I can deny I ever made the appointment Anne wrote down. I'd hardly expect you to say anything else. Then where do we go from here? I was rather hoping you might have some other explanation for that entry. I have no other explanation. Now, tell me again. What did it say, exactly? 8 p.m. Robert here. 8 p.m. Robert here. <laughs> That's something Anne would never have written. Well, it was there, I assure you. But she invariably called me Bobby. It's something you can easily check. No one else has ever called me Bobby. Do I look like one? Why should she call you Bobby? Oh, it began as a tease. Deliberate provocation. Eventually it stuck, I suppose... Because coming from Anne, it didn't sound so idiotic. Did she ever write it to you? Have you anything to prove she always called you that, even on paper? We didn't write to one another because we both had telephones. Look, surely it's obvious. Whoever paid Susan Halifax to give me an empty alibi also murdered Anne and forged that entry to incriminate me further. Uh, if that were so, then we can rule out the possibility of the murderer being anyone in Miss Lawrence's circle here. Because according to you, everyone knew she called you Bobby and not Robert. But we're not talking about textbook homicide. We're talking about a human being who killed once and was panicking like hell. They made a mistake with that entry. Isn't that how murderers are caught? Mr. Cardiff, you're a historian by profession. Ever try your hand at fiction? No, I can't attend any meeting. I'm investigating a murder and that has priority. Goodbye. Got some interesting stuff here, sir. Don't you ever knock before you come in? I did knock, sir. Then either your knuckles have gone soft or I'm going deaf. What is it, anyway? It's about Cardiff's Bondi Keep. Mm. Kingsland Police have just reported that a dark brown Bondi Keep was hired from a firm in their patch. When? Two days before the murder. A young woman, driving licence registered in the name of Nita Powell, hired the car on the Friday. Car was returned to the garage on the Monday morning before it opened for business. Big deposit, never reclaimed. Nita Powell? You, you sure that was the name? Oh, I'm sure, sir. It's the name of that telex from Scotland Yard this morning. Right. She's the model who was killed in Battersea last night. Mr. Barberton? Yes? Sergeant Rockner, sir, Norfolk CID. Can I have a word? Yes, of course. Come in. You're a friend of Mr. Robert Cardiff, sir? I am, yes. He spent the night before last here? Yes, but... Uh, when did what... he arrive? 
About six o'clock, I suppose. Did he go out again that night? Or yesterday evening? Look, what's all this about? I'd be obliged if you'd just answer the question, sir. Yes, I went to see her. It was the first real breakthrough I'd had. I intended to march her straight off to the nearest police station and see she made a statement about the stunt she pulled on me that Sunday. But when you found she wasn't willing, you killed her. I didn't kill her. I went out to her room on the first floor. The place was screaming with noise. There was a party going on. I knocked, got no reply, opened the door, called her name. She was in the bath. She wasn't a pretty sight. There was nothing anyone could do for her, so I came away. Why didn't you call the police? Well, that's the first thing you should have done. And get arrested on the spot? Who believed Who's me? Who's to I... believe you now? We found no weapon as yet, but... And no motive where I'm concerned. No? Try this for size. You got the girl to give you a false alibi, but then you had second thoughts. You got scared. You didn't want her questioned by the police in case she got frightened and told the truth. So you kept her hidden. Then she discovered she was covering for a murderer, contacted you and asked for more money. You went round last night and killed her to keep her mouth shut. Oh, come off it, Thorn. Would I have staged all that nonsense about the TV ad in front of Sunny Barberton? Would I have made myself known at the spotlight offices when I had the girl's real identity and address all the time? Would I have gone round there and had that Scots fellow recognise me if I was going to kill her? I needed the girl alive. But you gave Cairns a false name. You called yourself Brown. He's testified to that. Uh, just a minute, Ropner. You were so concerned with implicating me in Anne's murder that you followed me to London. I gave you the slip, and now you're covering for your own incompetence. What are you talking about? Sergeant Ropner's been here all the time, checking on your alibi. Ask him. Ask him to prove it. And ask him what he's doing working on this case without declaring his interest. He knew Anne Lawrence. He'd been around with her just like the rest of us. You'd have better be good, Ropner, or by God, I'll have you. Was there any truth in what Cardiff said? Were you having an affair with that girl? I saw her occasionally. What does that mean? I met her in a pub in Blakeney one night. We were both a bit plastered. She learned I was a detective and found it all very amusing. Very butch. I suppose I fell for her. When was this? Last summer. I have a dinghy, though. Well, you know I have. For God's sake, sir, I had nothing to do with her death. Were you having an affair with her? I was a novelty at first, I suppose. She found it amusing to go out with me on the side. She tried to pump me about cases I was working on. But I never mixed with her set. She'd drive into Norwich occasionally. We'd go to a cinema or a bowling alley. Just have a drink. A bowling alley. Was that all? Ropner! I was crazy about him. But I realised it wasn't going to last. This summer I only saw her a couple of times. She always had some excuse for not meeting me. Well, when did you last see her? Last Sunday. Last Sunday? Now I've heard everything. When last Sunday? About seven. In the evening? Yes, it would have to be. That girl's cottage must have been busier than Clapham Junction. It was my day off. I rang her from Norwich. She was being evasive, wouldn't commit herself to a meeting. 
I drove up to Blakeney and took the dinghy out. I came back and called at the cottage. Anne gave me the brush off. I wasn't there more than a quarter of an hour. Pausing only to hit her on the head with a blunt instrument. She was alive when I left her. And she was alive when Folliot arrived. I saw him go in. And then I went back to Blakeney. Ropner, even if you'd been just an ordinary, typical, evasive, bloody-minded member of the general public and you'd concealed this for so long, what do you think the police reaction would be? But you happen to be a copper. When this inquiry began, it was your first duty to declare your interest in the affair to the investigating officer. Me. Never have let you within a hundred miles of this case, and you know it. Now, either you've been the biggest bloody fool ever to join this force, or you were out to cover your tracks as you went along. All I wanted was to nail the bastard who killed her. I'm suspending you from duty as of now. When we get back to Norwich, you'll make out a statement giving every last detail of your association with Anne Lawrence. There'll be an independent inquiry, and if you've been lying... I'll personally see to it that you get the longest sentence in the book. Uh, look, Robert, I, I'm sorry, but I had no choice. I, I had to tell them what I knew. Yes, it wasn't your fault. But is there anything anything at all I can do to help instead of dropping you in deeper? Mm -hmm. uh, Robert? There is one possibility. Yes? But it's not going to be too pleasant for you. Oh, for God's sake, what are friends for? It's going to mean helping one friend at the expense of another. What are you driving at? Sonny, I wanted to do some research for me. Oh, sure. Name it. The other morning, Maggie Clement was telling me about the hijinks you and Alec and she had in the south of France when you'd all just come down from Cambridge. I don't see the relevance, old soldier. Well, give me a chance. Maggie mentioned that at one time in that summer of 57, there was a rumour in your set that Alec was involved in a clandestine marriage. What? That he married secretly. <laughs> Absolute nonsense. I mean, I'd have been the first to know. Alec and I were living in one another's pockets the whole time. Well, you said you wanted to help. Well, yes, of course I do, but I, I just don't I see... think it bears investigation. But the police would never let me leave the country, and I'm not going to them with any more wild stories. I wanted to help, but if you'd rather not, just say so, and I'll get on to a private detective. Well, of course I'll do what I can. Could you fly to San Rafael tomorrow? They must have records of all marriages solemnized there, whether they were civil or ecclesiastical. You know better than anyone the period you all spent in San Rafael. Can you check there for me? Oh, certainly. But I, I don't see what bearing that could possibly have on events at your end. Neither do I, as yet. But it spreads the suspicion a little bit more equitably. I've been over every barrel they've rolled at me so far, and I'm sick of ending up my ass in the dust. I know, I know. Look, Robert... I'll nose around San Rafael, and I'll telephone you at once, whether I've come up with something positive or not. What time is it? Mm. Why do you ask? What time is it, Alec? Oh, it's about eleven, I suppose. Eleven in the morning, and you're drinking already. Why not? Pull yourself together. It's not over yet by any means. If that man Thorne sees you like this, he's going to put every sort of false interpretation on it. <sighs> I want to get out. I'm tired of being cooped up in here. I want to get away for a while. Well, you can't move until the police say so. And the only way to deal with them is to stay sober. At least until lunchtime. Yes, well, we haven't all got your self-control. 
that's obvious, the way you've been behaving recently. Well, at least I behave like a human being. And what precisely does that mean? Cardiff. Robert? Robert, it's Sonny. Where are you speaking from? A little place called Evrancourt, not far from San Rafael. You moved fast. The news isn't good, Robert, I'm afraid. Oh. I've been through all the records for the entire department for 1957. Alec didn't get married. I'm sorry. You're sure? There's no chance the of a... The system's pretty well foolproof. I'm sorry, matey. Well, it was a shot in the dark. Thanks for trying. When are you getting back? Well, tonight, I hope. Keep in touch, won't you? Surely. Bye now. Bye. Yes. Tribune International. Mrs. Clement, please. Speaking. Maggie, it's Robert, Robert Cardiff. Robert! Hello. What can I do for you? Something rather urgent. Of course. Will you find out if it's possible for someone in Evrancourt, it's a tiny village near San Rafael, uh -huh. To dial direct to me here in Norfolk without having to go through the operator. Mr. Folliot? Yes? I understand you were in London on Saturday. Yes, I came back on Sunday morning. Why? I'm going to have to ask you to account for your movements between six and ten on Saturday evening. What the hell's it got to do with you? A girl was murdered in London on Saturday evening, sir, and her death is closely connected, we believe, with the killing of Anne Lawrence. Now, will you answer my question? It's very nice of you to drop in on us, Robert. What are you going to drink? I don't want to drink, Alec. I want to talk to you. Is your mother about? She's in her room. Shall I get her? Better leave her where she is. It's possible she wouldn't like what I've got to say. What on earth are you talking about? Alec. Does she know about your wife? I watch. In 1957, you contracted a civil marriage in San Rafael. A Sonny Barberton knew about it, and he's been covering up for you. Now, why? Why didn't you want anyone to know? I I haven't been decided what you're talking about. By tomorrow, the police will know all about this. But at the moment, the heat's on me, and I want it shifted. For God's sake, man, there's a murderer running loose, and unless we can clear ourselves, one of us could be in for a very rough time. You're mad. You're out of your mind. For God's sake, sober up and tell me the truth. Inspector Thorne. This is Patricia Brand. Alec has been murdered. <laughs> in your own words, Mrs. Bryant, and in your own time. I was upstairs in my room. It must have been about um, half past nine. I'd had a headache, and I was dozing. And then I heard voices raised in the drawing room. A terrible quarrel was going on. 
I came downstairs and heard a gun go off twice. Then the door was flung open and Robert Cardiff came out. He looked dreadful, white and shaking. He was carrying a revolver. I called out to him and he looked at me as though he were blind. What's happened, I said. Where's Alec? He started to go to the front door. I tried to stop him. He flung up his arm and then the gun must have hit me on the forehead. When I recovered, I went into the drawing room. Alec was lying by the fireplace. There was blood everywhere. I saw he was dead and I... I almost fainted. I opened the French windows and I, I was very sick. As soon as I could, I telephoned you. Mrs. Bryant, your call was timed at 10.04. Now, can you remember how long it was between your struggle with Cardiff and your making that call to me? I don't know. I really don't know. It could have been five minutes. It, it could have been half an hour. The moment your call was received, I sent a patrol to Cardiff's cottage. He wasn't there. Now, did he come here on foot or by car? Do you remember? Inspector, I don't know. Good morning. Can I help you? Mr. Collison, is he in? Have you an appointment? It's vital I see him at once. Oh, Mr. Collison is free from 3.30 to 4. If it's urgent, I I'm sure he'll see you then. S sir, where are you going? Oh, who the devil? We've spoken by telephone. My name's Cardiff. Are you insane? How dare you burst into my office like this? Will you kindly leave? Look, or... Mr. Collison, look at that. I wish to look at nothing, sir. I intend to... A certificate of marriage. Recording the wedding of Alexander Mackenzie Bryant, bachelor, to Claire Patricia Williams, spinster. Where have you heard that name before? Claire Patricia Williams? I think you'll agree, Collison, that it's time you and I looked at the last will and testament of Raymond Lucas. Have you found Robert Cardiff yet, Inspector? No, but we think he's in London. When he surfaces again, we'll see that he gives us every assistance. Every assistance? What does that mean? He killed Alec. You're going to arrest him, aren't you? Mrs. Bryant, there are a great many ambiguities in this case, but I am convinced of this. If Cardiff shot your son, he did so in self-defense. I don't understand what you're talking about. He killed Alec, and he attacked me. You know Mrs. Clement? Maggie Clement? Of course. That is, I know about her. She's a friend of Sonny Barberton's. What has she got to do with all this? She's discovered, through a press colleague in France, that your son was secretly married in San Rafael in 1957. Alec married? I've never heard such nonsense. Mrs. Bryant, it's my belief that because of that marriage, your son was unable to marry Anne Lawrence. I believe your son killed Miss Lawrence because she was pregnant by him and was threatening to cause a scandal if he didn't marry her. How dare you, I believe Inspector. that he and Mr. Barberton arranged the whole Susan Halifax episode to throw suspicion on Robert Cardiff. And I believe that when Susan Halifax, or Nita Powell, call her what you like, learned what she'd let herself in for, she asked for a considerable sum to keep her mouth shut. Blackmail, Mrs. Bryant. And what's more... I believe that Mr. Barberton visited her in Battersea and drowned her in her bath not ten minutes before Cardiff arrived. You tell me these cruel and hideous things when poor Alec can never speak in his own defence. I'll tell you something else, Mrs. Bryant. When Cardiff came here with the information about your son's marriage, your son panicked and attempted to shoot him. 
hoping to claim self-defence against an apparently proven murderer, but that somehow Cardiff killed him instead. I can't... I can't take this, any of it. I knew Alec. I knew him, I tell you. He didn't... He didn't... He At could... the moment, it's immaterial what you think, Mrs Bryant. Robert Cardiff is armed. He's been under intolerable strain for a week, and after what's happened here tonight between your son and him, he's in a dangerous state of mind. You're saying I could be in danger from him? I'm saying that we must accept that as a possibility. But don't worry. The house is well guarded. Yes, Sergeant, what is it? Sorry, sir, but this is important. Hmm. I've had a call from Mid-Anglia Constabulary. Lightning's brought a tree down on the new market Setford Road, and there's been a pile-up. Ten injured, seven dead. One of the dead has been identified as Robert Cardiff. Robert? Oh, my God. Don't touch it. Leave the telephone alone. Robert. Move away. Don't point that gun at me. They said you were dead. The police said you were dead. Not half an hour ago. They've jumped to so many false conclusions recently. Does one more matter very much? Robert, you look terrible. Let me call a doctor. No, thank you. Oh, Robert. Inspector Thorne was here saying the most dreadful things about Alec and Sonny. It's a nightmare. And now you, please, please, let me call a doctor. Rain, thunder, a lonely house. It's story time, Claire. The story of my book, a true story, and you're going to listen. Why do you keep calling me Claire? In Nairobi, in 1937, a marriage was solemnized between Raymond Lucas and Claire Patricia Williams. She was less than half his age, attractive and mercenary. You're ill. Nairobi, Lucas, Williams. What are you talking about? You're mad. By the time Raymond Lucas died, he knew how mercenary his young wife was. He left her a considerable annuity for life, but only on condition that she didn't marry again. If she did, the annuity ceased. At a more suitable time, I'd be delighted to hear about your work. But not now, please. For 19 years, the young widow remained single. Well, she had too much to lose if she remarried. Then, in 1957, she met and disastrously fell in love with Alec Bryant. My son has never married. I believe you. Oh, I believe you. Because you never had a son. Alec was your husband. You're insane. No, Claire. Not insane. The police think I'm dead, but I'm not insane. There's no one within a mile of us to hear you scream. You've killed two people and caused a third to be murdered. I wouldn't find it hard to kill you out of hand. You were 39 when you met Alec. He was 21. You were wealthy and attractive. He was infatuated. Perhaps with you, and certainly with your money. He loved me. If you say so. He loved me, or he would never have married me. I think you made marriage a condition of his sharing your fortune. You were greedy for youth. 
But you are greedy to preserve your annuity, and so was Alec. So, as it happened, was Sonny Barberton. Sonny made the arrangements, didn't he, for that insignificant little civil marriage? You must have paid him well for his silence. Because if Collison had ever discovered your marriage, you would have lost the annuity and been prosecuted for fraud. So, Sonny's flat is in your first married name, Claire Lucas. It's from there you deal with Collison, with Sonny ringing you whenever letters arrive. Oh, it was a charming little deception, and it continued for 18 years, when I began to research the life and work of Raymond Lucas. Can you imagine the hell it became, having to pretend that Alec and I were mother and son? It was shameful, humiliating. You were a fool to marry him in the first place. Once you came back to England, he'd got you where he wanted you. And he was able to carry on his little affairs here in Norfolk quite openly. Our marriage was happy at first. Wonderful. It couldn't have lasted. His other affairs never lasted. But Anne Lawrence destroyed him. Promiscuous little slut. She may have been feckless and casual, but she loved Alec and wanted to marry him. I tried to dissuade her. I did everything I could to avert a tragedy, but she wouldn't listen to reason. I knew what Alec was like. Spoiled, lazy, immature, greedy. But I loved him. She couldn't take him from me. You told her there was insanity in the Bryant family. She worried about that because of her pregnancy. But Alec denied it. And you knew he would leave you for her because she too had money. And she also had youth. It must have been hard for you at first. But that gave you no right to kill her. Everything I valued was threatened. I couldn't stand by and let you and that slut ruin our lives. You... Hired Nita Powell, you killed Anne, you forged the entry in her diary, you bribed Sonny to kill Nita. And last night, after my row with Alec, when he realized what you'd done, you knew you'd lost him for good. He was going to the police, wasn't he? So you shot him and planted this gun in my garden before telephoning Thorn. Look, Robert. The police think Alec killed Anne and arranged Nita Powell's murder with Sonny. They think you shot Alec in self-defense. They want to exonerate you, so... So? Let them go on believing all that. You're a sensitive man. You've known the life I've led. You must have enough imagination to realize the hell I've endured with Alec these past few years. Of course what I did was unforgivable. We can't bring them back to life. Do you want to see me in jail for 20 years? What good would that do? Haven't I suffered enough? Are you trying to buy me off? If I were convicted, the whole Lucas fortune would go to a college in East Africa. Why shouldn't you have some of it? I'm talking about 10,000 a year, Robert, for life. I... No. I shall phone the police, you're hurt, aren't you? Let me look. Oh, there's a bruise on your forehead. Why don't you rest for a while? Let me get you a drink. Well, if you've got some brandy. No, give it me. I'll keep the gun. It's safer with me. It won't do, Claire. You can't get away with any more. Get up. Come on. Get up. Walk slowly across to the windows. It's no good. It won't work. Keep walking. 
Thorn warned me earlier you might be dangerous. You're crazy. It's too late for you now. The evidence is too strong. There is no evidence against me, except what you might give. Open the windows. Go on, open them! I'm giving you one last chance. Let me call the police. Give me the gun. Give it to me. Keep away from me. How can you kill a man who's already dead? I'll take the gun, Mrs. Bryant. Sergeant, close the windows. Right, sir. Blanks, Claire. Blanks. Provided by the police. Oh, my God. We needed to get a confession out of you. Everything was too circumstantial. We'll be taking you down to Norwich, Mrs. Bryant, and charging you formally there. Better pack what clothes you need. When you've been charged, you can telephone your solicitor. My solicitor? You can do nothing on hearsay evidence. You petty men! Get her things together, Sergeant. Take her to the car. Get her out of my sight. Come along, Mrs. Bryant. I think I'd like a copy of your book when it comes out, sir. I'll accept the olive branch, but there'll be no book now. Not on this subject. Not from me. So where will the pennies come from now? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, we better get you home, sir. Come on. Sonny, Alec, Nita Powell, Anne. Now, the sad thing is, I was more than half in love with Anne. Didn't begin to realize it till all this hit me. And what about Folliot? And young Ropner? Come along. The Havoc Thorn. The unremitting Havoc of it all. In The Lucas Testament by Michael Robson, Robert Cardiff was played by Robert Lang, Chief Inspector Thorne by Geoffrey Siegel, Patricia Bryant by Dulcie Gray, Alec Bryant by John Rye, Sonny Barberton by Basil Moss, Sergeant Ropner by Steve Hodson, Mike Folliot by Sean Arnold, and Diana Hayward by Eva Haddon. Maddie Head played Maggie Clement, Dennis McCarthy, Edgar Lucas, Michael Deacon, Barclay Collison, Rosalind Adams, Nito Powell. Other parts were played by Christopher Bidmead, Alison Gollings, Jelly Gratham, and Hayden Jones. The producer was John Cardy. We present Nigel Lambert as Captain Everett in Jumbo by James Follett. <laughs>